Good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. We're glad to have you guys here this morning. If you're new or visiting with us, we'd love to connect with you. You can either come find me after the service at guest services, or you can connect virtually by texting the word here to 219-233-2311. A quick announcement about services this summer. Um, Usually we take one month off of kids' ministry and we have the kids join us in service, and this summer we're going to be breaking that up. Um, to make it a little easier on our parents. And so instead of one full month off of kids' ministry, we are going to be taking the uh, last Sundays off in uh, May, June, and July. So next week, the kids will be with us in service, so just keep that in mind. Um, but we're excited to have them join us in the big service. And then we will they'll be back in kids' ministry starting the first weekend in June. Um, and then lastly, um, we just want to thank you guys for giving to the vision and mission of Reefing Church. Um, If you want to financially give, um, we have two ways you can do so. You can either give in person at the black box by the door, or you can give online at rethinkchurch.cc. So lean in this morning. Mark is back, and he's going to be sharing a message with us this morning. several checkpoints and I learned that security guards don't like it when you wink when you answer questions. So, <laughs> just came out to do that. But I was trying to convince one of my friends, hey, you should totally try this. Um, and when you go through like the West Bank, you like go through different zones and there's one zone where Israeli uh, security come on and they have like full on gear and they're ready for any riot or any kind of thing. And um, I was trying to get my, one of my friends in the church like, hey, just give him a head nod when he walks by. Like, would not do that either. So, but I'm back, so there's that. Um, and so, just to give you a heads up, like it's a, it's a study trip. Like, we woke up at 6 a.m., we were at breakfast by 6.30, we were on the bus somewhere by like 7, 7.30, we were on the site, and we hiked 8 to 10 miles a day uh, throughout the desert, throughout the wilderness, and we went through every region of Israel. And the question we kept asking ourselves, well, like as a group, is why would God bring Israel, like the family of Abram and Isaac and all them eventually, and put them in Canaan. Like, why this specific spot of land? Uh, and you read through these stories in the Bible, and you're like, oh yeah, that's like this space and this space. Um, but think about the size of New Jersey. That's the size of Israel. And so it took us two and a half hours to go from the southern part to the northern part, and that's it. Wow. And very, like, we could look at, we standing in one mountain, and I could see Jordan. I could see Syria, I could see some of the surrounding countries, and I was like, here we are in this one space. And so, and as we walked through these events, it was just life-changing. Um, and what I've learned is you should read the Bible with a map. Because these spaces keep coming back over and over and over again, and God does amazing things in this. Um, and as we were working through these passages, so we would go to, the, like, we would just go on a hike, and we didn't know, there's no itinerary, by the way. It was like, hey, you're just going to follow me? As the rabbi. Here's a picture of the guys who kind of led the trip. Uh, Brad, the other bald guy in the red shirt, he is one of my good friends. He's who I, if I have a question, I call Brad. Um, he lived in Israel for a year. He studied at Jerusalem University, the college, um, and he leads tours. He has 
done this for 12, sorry, 14 years now. Um, and he's gone a couple times a year, and so he just comes back through it over and over again. Uh, excellent Hebrew, excellent Greek scholar, and all that. The guy in the blue, he was my roommate. Um, he's the other Brad, so Brad Nelson, Brad Dre. Um, and so Brad Nelson is going to start leading some of these trips to kind of free up Brad Gray, who does another thing. So uh, I would encourage you, we don't, we don't typically do this, but you will see some things coming out. Uh, Brad Gray, the guy in the red shirt, is the guy who leads what we call Walking to Texas, this group that, uh, that he does. And he is in negotiations with like National Geographic, with um, uh, Netflix and stuff like that, to consider doing these kind of tours, but on film. So to walk through, they've already they've recorded episode one, now they're in negotiations to say who wants to bid, basically, uh, with high-end type things. So if you just keep your like, we'll, we'll promote it, it's called Sacred Thread, and stuff like that. But while we were there, we would just go to these sites, and then he had scriptures pre-assigned to us, and so we would sit down and we'd start reading, and then we realized, like, halfway through some of the scriptures, we're like, oh, we're at this particular site, but now, like, what's the lesson? So we'd start pulling all these lessons. And so we'd hike several times, and then... Um, we just keep going, so we like, and we're done. He'd say something like, amazing, mic drop worthy, and then just get up and leave. And we're like, oh, we should probably do that too, since we have no clue where we're at. Um, and so we would go through that, and it was just this amazing time, and we got done around 6.37 at night. So it was a long day of trekking, long day of hiking, lots of water drinking, and all that. But one passage we kept coming back to, it's going to be Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read it from uh, NIV, and there's, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to read, like, open up. Uh, and we just kept talking about this because it was one of these passages, and then Brad wrapped it all up in one of the last days. Um, but here's Isaiah, he's going to start talking about these, these prophecies that he's saying, but we kept, we've never made it past, like, three or four words, just to put it that way. Uh, because it was something that we just kept talking about. Here's what it says. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw, and was concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, this is the time where Israel is split into two kingdoms, and so the northern kingdom is pretty much done, like, Syria's already came to take them over and exile them. Isaiah's like, hey, dude, if he doesn't wake up, it's going to happen to us. Does that make sense? <coughs> and here's what it said. In the last days, verse 2, on the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, and the chief among the mountains will be raised among the hills of the nations and will stream to it. And here's the phrase that we kept getting stuck on. In the last days. We couldn't even pass it because some of us, we have translations that say in the later days, in the latter days, in the days to come. Uh, but in the Hebrew, here's what it actually says. I'm going to keep moving this around. So uh, I wrote this message on an airplane, which was fun, uh, and like 12 hour flight back. And so I can't even read my handwriting half the time. So um, not that I ever read my notes anyway. But, um, but the Hebrew word here is, uh, I'm not even trying to say it. But it translates to literally as the days behind us, or the backward days. So the question is, how in the world can Isaiah talk about the, back, the days behind us, or the backward days, when he's talking about the days to come? And here's how. We just finally, finally figured this out in the last part of this trip. Because when we, as, when we think about it, let's say this is the future, we look at it and we're going towards the future, don't we? But we don't know what the, the thing is to come. Maybe, maybe you're going to graduate high school and you're going to college. And you have to figure out what's the days to come. What's, what's this next chapter look like? Maybe you're in a job and you don't like it, but you keep pressing forward and you're like, maybe I should find a new job. But I don't know. Like, it's like this risky time of like, do I quit my job now? And then, which by the way, that's not the process to do. I teach my kids. The best time to find a job is when you already have a job. Yes. 
You're right. You don't just quit your job and be like, I hate my job. Guess what? You're going to hate that job, next job, too. So I'm going to be something to complain about. What if I always had to clock in? Why didn't show up on time? Right? Like, that's all that's part of that process. But you just keep looking forward to the next chapter, don't we? Like, maybe you're in a relationship that you hate, so you're just like, hey, I'm just going to press forward to this next one, right? We constantly are oriented towards the future, but not the Jewish culture. This is what I found. Even at the Western Wall, I went into the synagogue that's connected to the Western Wall. I had no clue what I was doing. I just like walked around. I was like, hey, I'm a tourist, right? Because that was me. Um, but everybody, like all these Jewish people came over with these prayer shawls, and I'll, we'll walk through that in a minute. And they just covered themselves up and they'd like grab books. This one teenager grabbed several books, like seven, like seven books at least. And they're all like this. So I had no clue if they said I could enter in Hebrew. Um, so the kid dropped the book. And so I picked it up and he said, thank you. He's like, sweet English. So I asked him a question. Hey, why is everyone stepping away from the wall? They don't turn around. He's like, why would we ever do that? He's like, that's where God presented, that's where God manifested himself. Why would we ever turn our back on that? He's like, so we step away until we get, like, hit a wall and we turn around. And it was this mindset of like, oh. And he said, we always remember what God has already done. And the true Jewish culture, this is the future, this is the past. They, they are looking at what God has already done in the past. They're remembering everything, the, the exodus, the, the deliverance, the provision, how God delivered them into the, the, the promised land. And they're walking into the future focused on the past, what God has already done. It was mind-changing, like mind-boggling. Because here's the deal, when you're focused on the future and all you think about the future, you have a hundred different possibilities, don't you? And you get overwhelmed with the options and possibilities, what-ifs and all this other stuff, and you're focused on like, what if this doesn't work, what if that doesn't work, and it makes us anxious, doesn't it? We have one of the most anxious cultures around us, don't we? And here's the deal. When we were in Jerusalem, it was tense. And I mean tense. Like, and I can't even describe to you uh, the, the process. So, like, if there was some Western walls here, on the Temple Mount, this is all mosques and the Dome of the Rock and run by the Palestinian security. We went through three different security groups just to get through the different parts of the, the Temple Mount. Some of them ran by Jew Jewish people, some of them ran by the Palestinian people. But, as tense as it was, people were not anxious. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, there was tension and all this other stuff. They're like, yeah, this is part of life. And you can feel it in the air, like how tense it was, but people weren't anxious. And here in America, it may not be tense, but people are really, really anxious on me. Because we've forgotten what God has done for us already. We forgot that God will provide baby formula, right? Even though we have a shortage now. And toilet paper in 2000, what, 2020? All of a sudden, now that's not an issue, but like now we can remember, like we, we have the shortest memory when it comes to like how God has provided for us, but we're constantly oriented ourselves towards the future. And while we look at all the hundred different possibilities, let's face it, 99% of them probably won't happen. But we waste our time spinning in circles over and over again. This is why God tells the Israelites of Genesis and Joshua, take these stones and build a rock, a memorial so that we remember. Teach your children when you walk by these stones, tell them what the stories were that God did for you. Because God is providing for us in, like, in his realities. He's constantly doing this. But when you're looking at the future, you're walking towards the future in the last days, it's a little overwhelming. But just change your orientation. And you focus in on God has provided for us time and time again and how he's already done this. We just keep walking. And this is why the, the scriptures say, 
like you're a lamp unto my feet. Like you're gonna guide me. Yeah. You've been faithful in the past. I don't need to worry about the future. I don't even need to worry about the present, right? And I don't suggest that you drive like that because that's stupid. <laughs> but at the same time, although it'd be hilarious um, to watch, Maybe. as long as I'm in a house, right? <laughs> so, but at the same time, you can't constantly be worried and focus about the future. And it was so awesome to be in this culture for this, this amount of time um, because it just happens. And as, the, as, the, as we talked about it throughout this whole level these last two weeks, it was just amazing to watch how, how God worked all throughout these places um, and, and groups of people. And going back to the question of why would God move people, the, the, the Israelites, into this specific land? 50% of the promised land is desert. And not like sandy desert. Like rock desert. Like, if you don't watch where you're going, you're going to fall. And it's not like a soft little sandy thing to catch you. It's like you're going to hit your head on a rock. Um, which we just kept, like, walking through. So the idea of, like, like don't let my foot strike the stone, it's not metaphoric. Like, it's a, it's a literal thing, right? Um, and so when, you, when you're in the desert, like, think about this. God takes the Israelites out of Egypt, and he's supposed to, they're only supposed to be out of Egypt for a month, and then they go into the promised land, but the, you know, the generation rebels and all that. Um, and so he takes them out of the desert, and they go right into another desert. How awesome is that, right? But hey, we're not slaves, but, you know, you have to fight for your food and your water and all this. Um, and it's in the desert where a lot of us probably find ourselves in deserts at times. And it feels like God is delivering us, but we don't get these lush grass fields and those all. Like, sometimes desert just looks like another desert. But God is bringing you towards something better than what was, right? Um, one day we were walking, it was like a four hour uh, hike, it felt like just forever. No one was talking, it was the weirdest thing. Like, there's no lesson, it was just a hike. And then it was like, oh, by the way, this is what the Israelites were like, leaving Egypt. And we're grumbling, complaining, because we didn't have, like, and it wasn't cool enough for us. And we had water packs, and we had all this other stuff. We didn't have to look for everything. And so, I just remember thinking through, yeah, it'd be easy to grumble and complain. With pregnant ladies, with sheep, with little kids, you're, like, running off, trying to jump off the, the rocks and the cliffs and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, no, like, don't do that. I guess they learned one later, right? So, um, but in this, we started walking through what kind of land the promised land was. And so if you, I'm going to read in Deuteronomy what kind of land God is telling them. It's Deuteronomy chapter 11. And uh, God is telling the nation of Israel what kind of land this is going to be. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10, he's, he's sitting them down. He's like, hey, you're about to go into this promised land. This isn't the generation of the Exodus because they rebelled, they grumbled, they complained about God. So then God doesn't let them go into it, uh, but he lets his, their kids go. Imagine being that last, that first generation. Being like the last 10 people. Dude, can you hurry up and die? You know what I mean? Like, I accidentally, no, I can't do that. But, <laughs> like, you, you would start thinking these things out, right? Like, how can we quickly make this happen? But here's what it says. Here's what God tells the, the nation of Israel. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt, which you have to come. You're, like, where you just planted your seed, and you irrigated by water, meaning this, the Nile River flowed throughout everything, and it just, it was a fresh water thing in the desert, or in a desert-type area. And if you planted seed and it didn't rain for a while, 
All you literally had to do was go to the Nile River and they would walk and they would irrigate their fields and all of a sudden the water would just flow into their fields. And then you would just add a little bit more dirt and it would stop it up and then they would keep going from there. But here's what he says. The land you're entering to take over is not like Egypt in which you have come. All you can do is plant your seed to irrigate it by foot in the vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing into the Jordan to take possession is the land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is the land your Lord God cares for in the eyes of the Lord. Your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. And so what we started recognizing was in the desert, we needed to learn how to trust people. Um, and we didn't just go in there just by ourselves. We had this guy, his name was Yehuda, um, and he was a, a, our tour guide, and he would literally just tell us, hey, don't go there, don't go there. We'd be walking, and he would just kind of pop up. And so um, it, was, it was kind of funny. It was like a little billy goat just like wandering, like, hey, where's Yehuda at? Um, but he was guiding us down this whole time of like, hey, this is really going to be steep for you guys to go this way, or this looks dangerous. Um, and so he was this part of this process, part of this process was just simply guiding us down this whole path. And a lot of times you and I probably feel like if we're going down this next chapter, we can do it on our own, don't we? Mm. We go from desert to desert and be like, mm, good, right? But the reality of it is, we're in the desert, especially in the Judean desert, it rains less than one to two inches a year of rain. And yet the ironic part is, the number one killer in the desert is a flash flood where people will be hiking into these gullies and all of a sudden it rains somewhere else and it brings flash flood waters into the desert. And if you're not paying attention, if you're not hearing the rushing, because why would you hear rushing water in the desert? Right? But 18 months ago, there's a group of college students who died in the desert because the water took them away in November. But you fall and you hit your head on a rock, you're pretty much done. So this is what happened. These, these rivers would just take these people away. So you're just constantly looking to see if there's anything, any signs of this stuff. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so he's watching us, watching, he's watching the weather and all this. And so as we're hiking, it's like, it's not a good deal. We have an app. But then all of a sudden we lost signal. He's like, never mind. Like, yeah. it's technology, right? <laughs> so we had to rely on the expert. We had to rely on the master guide to walk us through this. And it's this, this reality that you just have to constantly trust people and trust God and all this other stuff. But it's in this desert uh, that you're doing this. But here's the reason I believe that God placed Israel in this land. And it's because it was the number one trafficked area in the ancient world. It's a land bridge between Africa, Europe, and Asia. And it's also this small little bridge between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. So the Chinese spice route ran through it. All the trade routes from Africa ran through God literally brought the nations to Israel. We talked about this before I left in Exodus 19 and 20. God tells the nation of Israel, I'm going to make for you a, a nation of priests. You will represent the world to them, like for me. Right? And what do they say? When God calls them up to the mountain, they're like, see the mountain, the lightning, the thunder, and they're like, no, we're not going to do that. But Moses, you go, and we'll have this conversation. We talked about this out the imagery of the ceremony that was actually going on was a, it was a Jewish marriage. And that we would never want to have a marriage through somebody else with our spouse, right? Like that would just be weird, it would be not. And I can't even get into that, but that's weird. Yeah. Um, but that's what the nation of Israel said. Nope, we don't want to do this, right? And so here's God saying, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain up. And they, he brings the nation of the, the world's nations to Israel. 
And if they were just faithful, if they would just follow the covenant and follow God's commandments as they're walking into the future, if they just kept focusing, okay, God, this is your law, this is what you're doing, this is your, your way, if you will, then they could have easily represented him. But what did they do? They did. There are time and time again we'd show up to these places, and we went to this place called Arad. It was out of commission. I have photos later, but I didn't want to even cycle through a lot of my photos today. Um, but there's, it was out of commission 450 years before Abraham got there had a water cistern and stuff like that. And then Solomon took it over and built it up as a military fortress. And as we were walking through the, the archaeological dig site, there was a temple to Yahweh and his Asherah. Now, by Torah, by law, the only place that you should have a temple was in Jerusalem. But it had the chambers of, like, the outer courts, the holy, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there was a large temple burning incense thing, and then a small altar of incense. Because in this situation, when they didn't have rain, they didn't have water, you prayed to anyone and everyone. And we look at this, but here's the deal. We're not so much different. How many read our horoscopes and we rely on other things instead of just relying on what God's word says? How many of us look at what, like the lucky charm and all this other stuff? No. Like, we all have that. Like, we have... We have random things that we do. We have these patterns and cycles and all this. And a lot of us, there may not even be a God, an idol, stuff like that. What if some of you trust more of your bank account than you do God itself? Mm -hmm. Or your status, your work position, rather than God. And in this situation, what we have to recognize is that in the desert, God is going to provide for us. We just have to trust Him. And as we press forward, we do this. And we see this over and over again. So as we're going through this desert, we're in Timnah. And if you uh, know Timna, like if you've ever watched Ben-Hur, Timna's referenced in this, the, the people who save the mom and the daughter, sorry, the mom and the sister of Judah Ben-Hur, the main character, he sent them to Timna. Timna was a slave encampment for the Greeks, the Romans, Solomon had people there and stuff like that. Um, it's part of this mining, it's a mining place. Um, we went from Timna and then we drove up and just driving through these mountains and it was like, sand and dirt and mountains and brown, darker browns, lighter browns, just a lot of browns. But then we show up and we park the, the, the bus. We hear these rushing waters. We see the Dead Sea over there. Chad, I'm going to put up the next couple pictures. Not the next, the, skip the next one, go to the other ones. But here's what we see. In the middle of the desert, there's an oasis called Engedi. And Gedi is where David shows up. He's hiding. God provides this place for him. Um, Saul keeps coming around looking for him. Since sends like 3,000 men to look through these caves of in Gedi. Um, and in the Jewish culture, if you wanted to stamp, have a stamp of approval, these are prayer shawls that every man would have worn. And on these corners are these tassels. And on these corners right here, these are like marks of authority. So, if you wanted to see it, like sign something, you didn't sign it with your name, you would take the wax or the mud and you would press your, your kanaf, the corner here, into it, and that was your mark of authority. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like kings, royal people, warriors, all that kind of stuff would press these into it. And so, one day, King Saul's looking for David in all these caves, and he's looking around all over the place, and David, he's, oh, by the way, he's relieving himself, he may say, warming his ankles. 
this tunic is around his ankle, says he's taking a crap. How about that? So, um, you're welcome. But David somehow is in the back of the cave with his men, and he sneaks up, and he cuts off the corner of his cloak. It wasn't just the accident of the corner. He cut off the authority of King Saul. And then he gets guilt-stricken. But here's the deal about him getting. And Gedi was this fascinating place because it's in the middle of the desert. And show the next picture, you'll see the desert. And on the very back end, you see the, the Dead Sea, which you can't drink because it's 38% salt water. You also can't, like, you don't go under the water in the Dead Sea because then you're going to die. Um, but you're getting your face and all that. So we went in there and just kind of bounced around, literally. And I was like, after like 30 minutes, I was like, I'm done. But you see the desert, you see all this other stuff. But here's the deal about the water. If you go back to the waterfall real quickly. Um, this water is 20 years old. Remember, this is the land that drinks water from the skies. So he and Hebron and all these other countries, like, like 50 to 100 miles around it. And I never knew how much geology would actually impact my, ge my theology. But the geology of this is that it's limestone. And so water would trickle through this. And all these thousands or millions of little trickles of these rain would collect, and then it streams into this. And 20 years ago, that water fell from the sky. God's past provision allows you to move forward. But if you're looking this way, you're gonna miss it. 20 years ago, that water fell from the sky, and then I drank from it, because I was like, I'm here, why not? Even though there's a sign that said, don't drink the water, like, what's the worst that's gonna happen, right? So I stepped over this chain that was there, and I was like, there's not a guard. Which, by the way, there was a guy who was in, like, swimming trunks with an AR-15 walking around. Oh, it's like that. So I asked him, dude, what the crap is all these, like, people, like, in a Speedo, but had, also had a gun. And he's like, if they're in the Israeli Defense Force, they have to have their gun on them at all times. At all times. So, Speedo and Cyborg, right? Why not? Sounds like America. But, um... <laughs> But here we are, right? Like, we're in this. And I was like, when am I ever going to get back here? So I was like, this is going to be interesting. So I just went over and drank it. And then Brad told me not to. But I was like, mm, whatever. <laughs> but think about this. God's provision 20 years ago allowed this to take place now. And so with that in mind, with that concept, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's see what God has in store for us in Ephesians. Because we're still in Ephesians, right? Um, So Paul, once again, is writing to the, uh, the church of Ephesus, and um, he's explaining to the church of Ephesus, which are both Jewish and Gentile people, why Jesus came to this earth. And so we're going to start in verse 11. Um, <coughs> and so when we get there, we'll start reading. But when, when he's writing this, he's trying to settle some issues that are going on, because some Jewish people are saying, nope, everyone has to get circumcised, eat kosher, and all that. And Paul's like, I don't think that's true, but like, they're, they're conflicted. So he's writing them a letter. He's in Rome. He's attached to, like, on house arrest. And he's writing this letter to, their, to them. So he starts with this, and he says, therefore, which when you see a word therefore, like, you can't start just pull that, that verse out of context. So if the word therefore is therefore, you're, you have to ask yourself, why is it there? Right? So let's go back to verse 8, and let's get into context, okay? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, um, and this is not for yourselves, it was a gift from God. Verse 9, 
not by works, so that you have no one can boast. Yeah. We are God's workmanship. Not me and you, like just individually, like all of us collectively are God's workmanship. He's, he's putting on display his wisdom for us. Uh, creating Christ Jesus to do the good works which God has prepared for us to do in advance. Therefore, verse 11, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. You were called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision. And then the body by my hands of men. Verse 12, remember, there's a thing again, remember, right? Kind of what Russell was telling us earlier, like remember God's love, remember, like it's this theme that's constantly coming up. Remember that the time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in, in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without the God of this world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, those who were once far from God, have been brought near to him but through the blood of Jesus. So there's this passage for us. And so even all the way back into Moses in, in the promised land, God started this plan to restore all things through the nation of Israel. Not through the religious systems, but God, Jesus, God had this plan to send Jesus to restore all things in here. Uh, and there's this concept that like we just get to be part of it. And, and if you think about the prodigal son, the parable, parable of the prodigal son, and a mindset is that the Gentiles are kind of like the, the younger son, the prodigal son, you want away, they're far from God and all that. Well, the Jewish people would be like the older son. They were near to God, they're in the same proximity, but they weren't really even close to God either. Right? They were just as far from the father as the prodigal son was. Because of their arrogance and their pride. They're like, well, we want to go. You can give us the goat to celebrate, right? Like that's what the older brother that says. Not the oldest son says. But here's the reality of it. Like, just because of heritage and lineage and ethnicity doesn't mean that you're, you're close to God or far from God. It's all about faith. And in the Greek mindset, faith was an intellectual decision. But in the Hebrew mindset, it's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That you're going to carry out the, word, the, the obedience to God's word and his laws and his actions, saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Sabbath. And I'm going to trust that the six days' worth of work was good enough. Think about it in the desert mindset, how much that would have been to trust. Is it really any different than our mindset, though? Because it's so easy to think about, well, I, have to, I have to respond to the email. Do you? Is it really that big of a deal? Do, I, do you really have to do that one last project? What's the worst that's going to happen? Probably nothing. Right? Like, but we constantly have this mindset, like, Oh, we're, our world is so much different than their world. No, no, no. Trust in God's word. Yeah, yeah. Be faithful in God's word. Should, like, then he'll show up. It's not like, you're not earning it. It's just the reality that this is part of the process. Yeah. But so often, we think, no, 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 we have to keep doing this. We have to earn our Sabbath. Mm. No, no, no. Go back to the creation of the word. Seventh, or sorry, the sixth day God creates man. The first full day, guess what they did? They Sabbath. And on the eighth day, God said, get to work. Right? You don't work and then Sabbath, you Sabbath and then you work. That's the order that God created us in. And so God is constantly trying to like create this rhythm saying, hey, this is how we live. This is what it looks like to be faithful. Not just have an intellectual mindset, but an actual lifestyle. And it's not a way of earning it. Parents, we know this. If your children trust you, they're going to obey you. They don't touch that pot. And what do they do? Now, like, ha ha, I told you, right? Right? Don't play in the street. And your 
it goes plays in the street, you know, well, and probably should have stopped them, you know, got a guard that's a little more temporary, right? Yeah, or permanent, I mean. So, but like, we know this, intellectually we know this, that, that trust is the obedience, sorry, the obedience is the evidence of trust. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for God following God. If you truly say that you want to follow God, let me ask this, it's not an intellectual thing, it wasn't about a prayer that you prayed years ago, several years ago, whatever, how are, you, how are you living this out now? What does it look like for you to faithfully walk out the ways of God now? Um, and so when he talks about the, the Gentiles being far from God, the Jewish people being brought together, he talk, well, Paul will talk about this again in Romans chapter 11. He says this, he uses the imagery of the olive tree. He says uh, the, the Gentiles are like this wild olive tree that gets grafted into the cultivated uh, Jewish type uh, olive tree. And the horticultural way of doing this, like, by the way, Israeli nation right now plants 2 million trees a year. As green as it looks right now, that's because of what they've planted. Because they've recognized they need to start their carbon footing and all that, and all that other stuff. But they've had to plant these trees in Jesus' day. These trees aren't everywhere. So uh, these, these olive trees that you find are just all throughout these olive groves or all throughout the area. And Paul used the imagery of taking a wild olive tree and grafting it into a cultivated olive tree. But the horticultural way of doing it was to take a cultivated tree and grafting it into a wild olive tree. To use the energy of the wild tree to kind of spur on new life in the cultivated one. But Paul is like, no, no. Don't think, in Romans chapter 11, he says, don't think that you're like so much better than the root. How often do we think that? How often do we use Gentiles? Because I don't know if any of you are Jewish, but like, I mean, if you are, awesome. Uh, but so often we think, oh, we're so much better than Jewish people. We have this mindset of, like, we would never deny Jesus. We have, at the same time, we deny the miracles of God when we look at the past and say, God, you've shown up here. We have a misunderstanding sometimes of God's provision with our identity, saying, look how I've earned all this. And so we have, this, we have to keep this in mind. Like God will say, like, how importantly he talks about this in Romans. Uh, he says, if, if God, Paul says this, if God won't cut off the, the natural branch, what makes you think he won't cut off the, the grafted in branch? We can't misunderstand God's provision. And, but the whole idea is to bring everyone together, not just the people that are like you. The same skin color, the same voting records, White Sox, Cubs, all that kind of stuff, right? Like we have to go back to this, that when we talk about God's workmanship, that it's all of us, God's diversity. So when you came in today, when you sat down, you should have seen a rock like this. And there should be some markers kind of scattered throughout the areas. And all of us are facing new things. All of us are facing different seasons in life. And I just want to give us a few moments to think through, to remember. So we can hold this rock and take a few moments and pray for God to reveal how he has provided for you in the past. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was ten years ago. Maybe it was last night. How God provided for you. How he came through and maybe delivered you from addiction and something else. So that as you walk into the future, you can walk with your focal point God's presence and his glory. And I'll come up and wrap up the service.
as you think through that, just take a marker and write down. Maybe it'll have to be your whole story, or maybe a word or key word for you. Mine would be grace. That I've made a lot of stupid decisions that carry a lot of consequences. But God has constantly shown his riches towards me at the expense of Christ. One way to think about grace is God's riches at Christ's expense and that he bore the consequence for my stupidity. And that's constantly showing up as grace over and over again in my life. But I can look back at that and say, God, I'm going to lean into the future and fully trust you in this. Jesus, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are. And for everything you've done for us and everything you will do for us, God. And God, as we keep our, our focus on you and your presence and your glory, your kavod, the weight of who you are and how you've shown up in our lives in the past, God, would you allow us to walk into the future backwards? And God, as we do that, will you help us to stay focused to you? Because here's the deal. We're not isolated. We're not in these little bubbles. That you've placed other people in our lives so that we could represent you to them. That we could share the gospel and the good news of Jesus in our lives. And a world that is spiraling out of control and out of hope and feels like hope is like this lacking type of a thing. God, I pray that the followers of Jesus, especially the rethinking people, would be ambassadors of hope. Not because situations would be better, but because of who you are, Jesus. And would you allow us to carry your message well into our workplaces? Because we can focus in and we can remember how you've shown up time and time again for us. So Jesus, help us to remember you. We love you, God. It's in your name, pray this. Amen. So I would encourage you to take these rocks home with you, put them somewhere that you're going to see it over and over again, and you can just remember how God has shown up for you. Uh, if you want prayer for anything, I would love to pray with you in the back by the green wall. Uh, in church, I hope you know this, and it's so great to say this now, uh, that God loves you. And I love you. And as we follow him, we'll count the best he has to offer for us. So let's go. And be in the church. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.